This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. It's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy. Bringing in new customers is great. Getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlyer's incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Welcome, everybody, to TWIC episode 173. We got uh, a modified crew. We got Ethan Levy. Levy. <laughs> just Fuck. call me. Like, okay, the I don't understand. Kid. Let's, let's just forget what my last name no, is. No, no. The, the crypto kid, <laughs> Ethan Levy. <laughs> we got don't Eric. Call him that. Yeah, don't we're not. Call him that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, you're 40. We're not, we can't call you a crypto kid. <laughs> not 40 yet. I got, I got a couple months. Uh, we got. We got Eric Suford. I was expecting that this is coming out out of your new swanky Austin office, uh, MDM HQ, but it's MDM not. MDM HQ, baby. No, I had to, uh, I tried to get it all set up. I moved in mm-hmm. yesterday, but I didn't get all of the computer stuff set up. Um, I bought nice. a 50-inch gaming monitor. Oof. What's, what's uh, the sink the on that? The one that, that uh, kind of like goes around <laughs> you? Uh, I don't, I don't know, but it's like it's yeah, it's the curved one, and oh, um, you can plug two computers into it. So that was that was the reason. But uh, yeah, and then I've got like a high end camera that I bought a long time ago, but it didn't fit on my desk here. So I'm gonna like mount that on the wall, 
Mm-hmm. So you'll be looking at like the Austin skyline from now on when we're doing Twig, uh, with like this Oof. elevated camera. But like, but no, I couldn't get it set up in time, so I'm just at home. Oh, regarding the uh, the, the future upgrades on Twig, we have uh, we I just talked to a partner today, and they are gonna start doing videos of like like a shorter videos, like a, like a cut downs. So everybody will be able to see Eric's new office uh, on YouTube. Oof. Nice. Uh, in the future, and <laughs> and also the fact that I'm recording these out of my gym, uh, which is really sad. But I'm work I'm working on upgrading this. I'm working on I will, doing something. I will this. eventually put some now, so. art or something <laughs> behind me. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and and actually, Ethan, I got you covered. I already talked to uh, a future oh, sponsor wonderful. of Tokenomics. And they are sending uh, a lead background <laughs> to you, <laughs> so 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 everything everything is covered. Um, yeah. So news for today. Um, not a lot of not like you know. There's a lot of headlines, but not a lot about gaming. We're talking about penalties. Some wrongly imposed loot boxes in computer games. FIFA 2022 are not game of chance. Uh, we're gonna talk about Backbone raising 40 million. You know, it's a light news week. So, and Ethan, yeah, did you have I, I've some got kind of some normal news. I've got some stuff? token news. I'd, I'd love to talk about you the sandbox know. if there's time. I mean, Eric's uh, Cress isn't here to tell uh, me to shut the fuck I, up. So I, I don't know how we're gonna do this episode <laughs> without sandbox. <laughs> like we can't do this episode without sandbox. Uh, before we kick it off, I want to say uh, we have only promoted this on actually on on the podcast, and it's already. You know, sold out even though it's free. So Deconstructor of Fun Istanbul event on 31st of March together with Google. Now, if you ch- go on the link below or deconstructoroffun.com slash Istanbul, you'll be able to find what is in what's the agenda of the event. We're going to talk about the changing ecosystem. We're going to talk about gaming megatrends. There's going to be Tel Aviv, Helsinki, and Istanbul, the building blocks of a thriving gaming cluster. We're going to talk about when launching a new game, focus on your process, so basically new game development. We're going to talk about principles of economy. There's going to be uh, a session on how to optimally soft launch a mobile game. Uh, we're going to be talking about approaching pay-to-earn from a free-to-play background. But most importantly, the reason why you're there is the live twig, which Eric Kress and Eric Suford will fly all over from the U.S., the 25-hour flight <laughs> just to uh, just to do a, a live twig. So um, it's sold. It's, ready? Yeah, it's sold it's out. Sold out? It's it's sold out. Uh, so it's sold out already. So, but we haven't sent the tickets. Meaning, there's more people that are registered that we have issued tickets to. So please register as soon as possible so that you could be the one who gets the tickets issued to if you know what I mean. So we only have 500 tickets. There's way more signups than, than 500. So, so, um, sounds so, like an um, NFT-based Dutch case. auction is the only solution to this problem. <laughs> yeah, the next next time, next time Ethan is, is right. dropping a token on this. Uh, it's going to be yeah. all NFT based. You can buy them on OpenSea, and we're going to keep. Yeah. We're going to do the event in Miami. I, I look. Miami I look Beach. forward to <laughs> Eric uh, I'll, I'll DJ at the at I the end of it for uh, for uh, <laughs> a deconstructor fun. Yeah. X Miami cryptonomics uh, event. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. It's as as soon as somebody arranges it and pays for everything, we're, we'll yeah. be we'll be right there on the yeah. beach. <laughs> I'll show up. You arrange yeah. it, pay for it. I promise, I'll show up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're looking at you. That's, that's essentially how the uh, the Istanbul event happened as well. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's let's jump into the news. So, so some of the updates. Um, first, Scopely welcomes. 
Omnidrone as a Scopely studio. So shout out to Gerard Fernandez, who is the CEO of Omnidrone. Been doing this for a while. Before that, it was actually running Digital Chocolate Barcelona, where I first met him. Great dude, great company. He has 120 employees. I didn't know it's that big already. They've been working closely with uh, with Scopely on a number of game projects. Um, none of them have, to my knowledge, shipped at least globally. But now Scopely already operates two hub locations in Barcelona and another in Sevilla. So they have a parallel studio, which creates and live operates Yahtzee with Buddies and Scrabble Go. Then they have the GSN Games team that is working cross games and technology with the Sevilla home to the uh, the Scopely studio Genjoy. So that's the other uh, Sevilla studio. Um, and the Genjoy is working on a bunch of casual game projects. And to my understanding, there's also this Barcelona European HQ for Scopely. So I don't know how many people they employ now in in Spain, but it must have been in hundreds. Okay. Yeah. The, the, it's a it's a big operation. It's three studios already in, in Barcelona. Uh, two studios and one HQ in Barcelona alone. No, three studios in Barcelona already and one HQ. So it's it's huge. Yeah, huge. Spain's Barcelona's the spot, man. That's like the the free play gaming hub now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. But but yeah, uh, King is probably a lot smaller nowadays because King used to have like twelve hundred people there. Yeah, and something. So so now. Well, that's where they. The, all these companies move in and they just start poaching, right? Like that's, I mean, that's yeah. just the, the cycle of life, right? Like yes. I remember that happened in Berlin. King joined, or King opened an office in Berlin and they had this massive <laughs> opening, office opening party and they just invited <laughs> all the Wooga employees. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I didn't get Nasty. an invite and I messaged uh, Henrik because uh-huh. Henrik was at King. Yeah. And I was like, hey man, can I get an invite to the party? And he never responded. Nice. I just um, got dogged out. I didn't yeah. get an invite to the party from Henrik. I didn't get it. Oh. Shout out to to Henrik Sorenen, also known as as a founding partner of Play Ventures nowadays, uh, for not sending Eric an invitation. I hope you get the uh, the invitations in the future to to all the play events. So yeah, well, I haven't gotten any. I'm, I don't think I've ever gotten invited to a play event. Oh, okay. Well, um, you know, maybe there's a reason. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so. <laughs> So, uh, so uh, Scopely strategy is pretty interesting. Uh, they have uh, they have this sort of a franchise team strategy where they essentially they have an internal franchise team and an external franchise studio. Uh, so, meaning that they would hire like the uh, the top talent like top talent to a certain genre. Let's say I'm building a puzzle game. I would bring in a bunch of puzzle people, like like you know director of design, director of you know art director, and this kind of stuff. And that would be my central team. And then they would be guiding that studio. They're working like Omnidrone. Uh, and then usually. What happens is that they acquire that studio when they enter Global Launch because of you know the issues with having um, with publishing pretty much impossible in free to play if you have an external studio because you can start fighting about money. The publisher invests in marketing. The uh, the developer doesn't see any money and it's this and that and the game grows. They start sandbagging. It's it's a it's a whole shit show that you can find actually a bunch of episode on on this podcast on on why publishing is so difficult in free to play games. Anyway, scopely strategy franchise teams they offer the central tech which is everything is built on and of course the publishing power of actually scaling these games. It seems that they are acquiring these studios now earlier on. So already when they have sort of established cooperation with them like you know a typical uh, second party development and and instead of uh, instead of going through uh, the global launch they're already acquiring after after forming this relationship and 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 working together for a few years they're like you know what we we're a great pair so let's do it I don't know what the terms of these acquisitions are um, it's probably interesting how they've been set up um, uh, you know word on the street 
is that they're very interesting, but uh, I'm not going to speculate or, or share anything that I've heard. Uh, but um, they never actually publicize how much they pay for them or if they, you know, how it works. Um, any comments on, on Scopely stuff? No? No? I just, uh, they've done so many fundraising rounds through the year. Yeah. They have so many board seats open, like Scopely. I, it, it seems like, I mean, hats off to the team that, that manages that. It seems like a true globe-spanning, multi-office hydra of an organization that must be tough to wrap your hands, hands around. And I just kind of, you know, with a company like that, I always wonder, like, when is what is the exit as you take on more and more IPO. fundraising rounds and more and more? But like, how big does the exit have to be to um, service all these series they've done? Um, I don't. Because I feel like every couple of years they raise a couple hundred million dollars. But does there have to be an exit? Just go through the whole alphabet. Like they're on round L, <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like above my pay grade. Do, At some point, do, the investors want do, their. Their money back, right? Yeah, all depends. <laughs> exactly. What these are, but but yeah, they have like they have bunch of CEOs, bunch of presidents. Uh, it's a it's a it's a big org. It's a huge organization. They've been you know they've been kind of killing it for a few years now. I think there's a little bit of a silent time, like they're trying to figure out things. But um, I haven't launched anything big for a while. But hopefully they will. And hopefully Omni Drone is one of those studios that is launching a a big bad game that that everybody plays. So you know all the I'm power just, to uh, scope. I'm in. I'm in in awe of what they've done with Yahtzee with Buddies. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, they, an amazing success and amazing turnaround. Yeah, they, they are. They're good operators. So uh, talking about funds, uh, Griffin Gaming Partner has raised the biggest game VC fund with $750 million. Wow. That is a lot of moolah. So Griffin Gaming Partners now has more than $1 billion in assets under management to invest in games. So massive congrats to the founders, Peter Levin. Phil Sanderson and Nick Tuosto. Um, also, I was thinking about like I was just thinking about like my, my own small assets, and I was thinking about the uh, the energy crisis and the risk of hyperinflation. What do you do when you have like seven hundred fifty million? Like how do you how do you keep that money safe from from you know potentially you, like you, ever going you, you inflation? You put it all in in tether. You in SDT, right? <laughs> yeah, That's a joke. it's uh, a. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think that um, I kind of have this feeling that with the inflation being, you know, going up all the time and, and with the risk of, of, you know, quite significant inflation due to the energy prices and food prices going down up with the war, I think that, that the funding rounds are going to be pretty big now because if I would be a investor... Are trying to get money out there. Yes, day. exactly. If I'd be investor, now is the time to give somebody 10 mils. And watch it, you know, inflate on their account. But at least, at least you've invested it, and at least you have a percentage of the company. But, but I don't know, Eric. You invest a lot. What's your take on this? That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I would be less worried about inflation. I mean, it's not like, I mean, that's probably you know, it's, I, I you could there's a whole rabbit hole there. But like, I'd, I'd be worried less worried about inflation. It's just like very difficult to deploy that much money. I mean, they've got an amazing team. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're. Uh, the they're the the sort of like uh, uh, MJ era uh, Chicago Bulls of games <laughs> investing, right? So, but it's just it's a lot, right? I mean, that's a lot of money to deploy, and you need people, you need hands, just reviewing debt. I mean, like that's the thing is like the bigger the fund, like the more of the distributions change, right? And if you think about like venture, it's like people talk about this idea that like you know fifty percent of the fund is just going to go, fifty percent uh, of your investments go to zero, and 
uh, or whatever. There's some distribution like 30% go to zero, 33% go like break even, uh, you know, 30%, uh, you know, make a little bit of money and then 3%, you know, are, are sort of like mega uh, uh, returners that, that you know, um, you can you can get 100x or whatever or, or 25x or, and the thing is like those distributions are not like some fixed kind of rule it's just that's what you approach as the funds get bigger and bigger and bigger and the reason for that is you basically have to kind of get total coverage of the market right like you have to kind of invest in everything because there's no way to deploy all that money unless you do um and then you've also got to take you know lead stakes in the investments that you do make and you've got to be able to to, to, to deploy like a significant amount of money per investment. Um, and so like in some ways, the inflation is a result in, in, ter in terms of like not, you know, not, not CPI inflation, not uh, consumer price index inflation, but like round, you know, just valuation inflation happens as a result of these mega rounds. Cause like someone comes to you and says, I want you to lead my, my seed. Okay. Well, I don't invest less than 10 million. Mm -hmm. um, and so your valuation has to be this to justify me investing 10 million. Right. And like that kind of stuff happens. And then you can kind of just crowd out a lot of other investors. Yeah. Right. Because, well, like, I, I can't, you know, if I, you know, I'm an angel, I'm not going to invest in a $10 million, you know, a $10 million seed round or a $12 million seed round where the lead's taking 10, right? It's just impossible. Yeah. Um, and, and so like, you know, you just need a lot of people. You need a lot of great people. They have a lot of great people. Um, but it's like, you just need you, that, that, that you can't be like super tactical, like a sniper, right? Like I feel like that's, that's my approach. I'm just a sniper. I'm like hitting up people on the mobile dev memo Slack. Hey, I'm, I heard you're thinking about leaving company X. Like, why don't mm -hmm. you let me invest some money when you do, right? Um, it's more like you've got a team of analysts that are getting pitch decks every day um, and they're, they're looking at them and they're sort of like just filtering out like the obvious no's and then they're sort of taking that batch like, yeah, this is a maybe we should talk to them and they're doing the first outreach and then it sort of, uh, you know, trickles up. But it's hard. It's, that's a, that's, when you're managing that much money, it's actually really difficult to deploy it. Yeah, and, and when we talk about these like monster rounds, like didn't Griffin just invest a fifty million seed round in that Turkish company? We we talked about Spyro Games or Spike Games. Uh, I kind of forgot. Sorry for forgetting the name. Um, the CEO is coming on the podcast, so apologies for for forgetting. I think it was Spike, Spike Games. Spike Games yeah. and and Griffin led the round, um, and that's Rena. Uh, so she was a founder Rina, yes. at Peak. Yes. Yeah. She's 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 coming in. Um, and that was like a 50 million seed round. 55 million seed round, yeah. Yeah, ba boom. <laughs> That's how you get rid of your 750. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I mean, all power to it. Griffin Gaming, uh, they've, they've done a, a great job, great investor. Um, you know, hopefully, not hopefully, they'll, they'll do great sh shit in the future as well. So just uh, big bets. Well, the, uh, so the, 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 the Griffin uh, kind of founding team, they're all sort of X or current uh, line. line tree. Yes. Which is like the, you know, go to like media banking firm, right? So if you guys watch Succession, um, that was the firm that managed the, uh, the, the merger, like the fictional merger between Royco or Waystar Royco and uh, that's that crazy Swedish guy's uh, uh, company. Oh, that was, uh, that was Lion Tree there? Yeah, so they, they had like a throwaway line in there. It's like, we've got a team of Lion Tree bankers like uh, working out the details. Like, yeah, so they, but it's like, that's the level of prestige that they have. They're like, you know, brought, mentioned in succession, right? So they're the, they're they are like the media banking uh, firm. Yeah. So By the way, succession, how great is that show? Fuck, good. It's a good show. It's phenomenal. Like, great acting. Um, 
<laughs> I'm also excited for the new Viking show. I don't know what what is it, but I I love all kind of Viking shit. They have like they they just restarted it. Let, let's go the new round. <laughs> so. Oh, the Val Valhalla. So it's like a hundred years after the original Vikings. Yeah. I don't yeah. care, dude. As long as they have those crazy haircuts and they can slash people, <laughs> raid, murder. I'm in. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the original Vikings was awesome. Yeah, the, the the last season was was a little bit of a like a letdown. Yeah. <laughs> they had this Russian invasion of uh, of like whatever uh, Katagat. <laughs> like, anyways, right. good show. Last season was a letdown. <laughs> Vikings, great show. Congrats to Griffin Gaming Partners. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so going out all over the place. The ruble is crashing in Escape from Tarkov. So Escape of Tarkov is this. Um, uh, how do I call it? Like it's a, it's a very unique game. It's kind of like still in development in early phases. So it's a paid game. It's a shooter game. It's very realistic, uh, and it is sort of a, this quintessential survival shooter where you it's it's an incredibly difficult game to play, and people kind of love it. It's it's big on Twitch, um, and it's apparently doing really well. But now, with the rest of the Western world seemingly putting the Russia under tough sanctions and moving the count the country's banks from the SWIFT payment service, the value of the ruble has dropped. So, at the time I was reading this, it was minus twenty nine percent. It might be like minus one hundred fifty percent at this point. Like, <laughs> like Russia is moving into like you know trading with uh, <laughs> with squirrel skins soon. I think they're pelts. Yeah, pelts. I think you call them. Pelts. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like they're gonna. It's like no, that's a pretty sad thing to say. I'm sorry for joking about this, but uh, but it's it's pretty brutal. So as as a result, they're gearing up and buying additional currency in Escape from Tarkov is becoming really tough, uh, just because the ruble is falling. So naturally, they have uh, the Bitcoin options, they have uh, dollar options, and so forth. But with the value of ruble going significantly down with that game, I assume a lot of their players are coming from the Russia, and this is the same thing as many game companies are are facing now. So either uh, the the fall of ruble where they where the players can't really spend any more money because their money is becoming less valuable uh, and thus they're becoming essentially poorer uh, Russian players. Uh, but the second part that is problematic also is that you can't take your money out of Russia. Like how does it work on on a, on a payment system? Well, yeah, the platform handles that for you. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of like an intermediary there. Well, the problem was a bit. A lot of these these platforms have stopped operating the payment systems in Russia, right? So there's just no exactly. way to pay or buy things. So that's a big problem. So you can't pay for them. And then you can't get your money out of Russia, essentially, because there's no uh, there's no platform in between. So that's going to be uh, another problem. And that, actually, this, this leads to a second point that I was seeing a lot on, on LinkedIn, which is kind of confusing. EA is removing Russian national teams from FIFA and NHL. And Supercell, as an example, is removing their games from Russia. And I was uh, like, this is going to be the last uh, sort of a war-related news because I know people are very bummed down about this and it's a very um, difficult topic. So I was a little, you know, there was a conversation on the Director of Fun Slack channel and I saw there was a conversation on the, uh, on the Supercell announcement on LinkedIn because my question is like, who does this help? Like, if your goal is to to really help Ukrainians, like, how does it help that you're not having your game in Russia or Belarus? I think this these decisions are being made is that on one side in in your company there will be people who want to do good, who want your company to take action, and um, they're you know pressing internally like I don't want to make game for Russians. But the second part is is actually this economical thing where 
Supercell is unable to operate their games now in Russia because there's no payment systems. So they can't actually get any revenue out of Russia and they're likely closing their games because of that reason, right? Now, I want to say that, that in my opinion, the best way to do this is the way that some companies have done it. So they use all the revenue that they get from Russia and Belarus. They put back into funds like the uh, Polish Refugee Fund or Ukrainian Red Cross. That's concrete help. You're, you're actually doing something that, that helps people on the ground. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, the sanctions are tough because they just end up hurting everyday citizens, right? And it's not yeah. like people... I mean, it's not like the elections are robust in Russia, right? <laughs> uh, and and you know what? All you you run the risk of just like galvanizing, you know, sort of negative sentiment towards the West, um, and then you know, turning people more nationalistic than they were before. Yeah. Uh, now, sanctions are like you know, they can't. It's just got to be. It's like a. It's like a. You've got to take a scalpel to it, right? And you've got to be very thoughtful and very strategic about how you apply them. Um, I think a lot of what I worry about with like the games, you know, first of all, like a big reason to not want to operate in Russia right now is the instability of the banking sector and the ruble. Right. And that's that's a lot of what's driving this, I think, mm -hmm. um, is just some of these payments are suspended because the currency is so volatile. How do you you don't want to accept it? Right. Because, you know, for the same reason, a lot of places don't want to accept Bitcoin. Right. Or the cryptocurrency, they buy normal stuff because it's like the, the currency fluctuates. How pretty do you wildly. price your iPhone? Right, exactly. So how do you price an iPhone, right? And so, yeah. well, you know, so well, if you have to price in rubles, it's it's going to change day to day, and it's actually going to get less for it every day. Um, and so that's just a big reason to do this. And I think a lot of people are just sort of like trying to virtue signal um, when the reality is it's just a very practical matter. They don't want to make their items for sale in Russia because the currency is just fluctuating so much. But yeah. I mean, it's just it's a it's a difficult talk. And like, you know, the thing is, I don't like this idea that people saying like, oh, punish, punish Russia, punish Russia, because it's you're not punishing the people that actually have like real power. You're punishing just like normal citizens. You know, Russia is basically an impoverished country. I mean, there's a lot of people that live. Um, in poverty there and like mm -hmm. you know I don't know that making their lives more miserable really helps anybody to your point like it certainly doesn't help anybody in Ukraine right and like you know it's not like these people are decision makers they're just they're they're sort of um, they're kind of under the yoke of this the regime in the same way that Ukrainians are and, and, it, and it's it's I don't, like making them more miserable doesn't actually help anybody unless you think that's going to foment a popular uprising which I, I don't think it will unless you sort of remove that middle layer of oligarchs who've just been siphoning money out of the system for years and yeah. years and years. Yeah, and, and if, we, if we go down in history, like there's plenty of countries that have been sanctioned. Cuba is one still under sanctions. Like still, <laughs> they got sanctioned in like 60s. Uh, we got Iran, didn't help. Like the, the, uh, the Ayatollah is still in, in power. They didn't bring back the Shah after the, those ones. North Korea is probably the most outrageous example. All of these countries have, have essentially been more and more against West after the sanctions than before that. So it's kind of like weird that, that we're taking the same approach over and over again. And now we're putting like the toughest sanctions ever on a country that is led by a pretty wild person with a huge nuclear arsenal. And we're like, hey, let's see how this plays out. So I'm, you know, of course, being neighboring to Russia, it's it's a... I would like things to be, you know, de-escalated and not escalated constantly. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I kind of wish Crest was here because he'd be saying something like, you guys aren't experts on this. Why are we talking about this? Yeah. This is the rare topic I feel yeah. completely uh, unequipped to talk yeah. about on the internet. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm happy to leave this one up to people that are smarter about the stuff exactly. than I am because like, I don't have any answers. It's plenty of podcasts. 
plenty of cop podcasts about this. Uh, I think somebody suggested me the uh, the New York Times podcast was apparently really good about this. I I watched Breaking Point, so. Listen to them. Don't fucking listen to us on yeah. anything regarding sanctions. We don't know what the hell we're talking about. Uh, we just because want peace. <laughs> you know what the New York Times? Yeah, you know what the New York Times is never going to report on. Uh, that game company receiving a hundred sixty million dollars in investment. <laughs> Sorry, that was my segue. smooth segue. Go for it. Um, yeah, so this is. I'll, I'll do my updates. I wanted to uh, congratulate my friend Genova Chen and everybody at that game company. It's a massive round. They've been working on Sky for a long, long time. And my assumption, I, I haven't talked to them about it, but um, I assume that the ability to, to reach this level of investment is coming because they must have hit a tipping point where they can prove that they can deploy marketing money profitably to scale the game. Um, that's my guess. I don't know why else Sky would require this much capital, but uh, Genova is one of the best uh, game makers out there, and the people that work for him are all... Uh, aligned on the mission to elevate games as a legitimate form of art, and it's uh, it's really cool. I, they uh, are bringing on Pixar co-founder Ed Catmull as a principal advisor, and I just remember like I, I talked to him many many years ago. I, this isn't something I talk to all the time, but I talked to him maybe ten years ago at this point, and I remember him like showing me a Disneyland uh, park map. And being like, Sky is going to be like the virtual Disney World. Like, it's, I know he's taken a lot of inspiration from Disney, and it's cool that Ed Catmull is joining the board. Um, and I'm glad to see that they've hit that level of success that reaches this next uh, tipping point. So, uh, congrats to them. Um, second story I wanted to bring up is uh, Epic Games is acquiring the music platform Bandcamp. Uh, quote from the article An important role in Epic's vision. Uh, to build out a creator marketplace ecosystem for content, technology, games, art, music, and more. So now Epic owns Bandcamp. They own ArtStation. It feels like they're building out uh, a marketplace as a competitive advantage as to why you would want to use Unreal Engine as opposed to Unity or another game engine. That's that's kind of my take on why they would buy these, these other non-game-specific uh, but kind of media-specific marketplaces. And I mean, like as a producer, I spend plenty of time on Bandcamp when it's time to outsource music, looking for tracks and going like, oh, I like this. This track, Long Cove 6 by Morgan Hendry, this sounds exactly like what I want to play for this trailer or for this cutscene. And then I probably send that as a piece of reference to an outsourcer and have them write something that sounds kind of like that track. And so as a creator, it would be super cool if I'm making my game and I can go to Bandcamp and I could click a button and license Long Cove 6 and plop it into my game and everything's set up and I don't, you know, the royalties or payments are all taken care of. Like, that that's really cool. I would love to be able to do that. Um, and I hope it works out. And I hope it works out for musicians and for game creators. Um, I think it'll be really interesting uh, over time uh, that Epic's Epic's been basically bundling and acquiring a lot of companies, some that um, make clear and obvious sense and some that are like uh, to parts of their business that are like, oh, we want more architects using our engine. So we're doing X or we want high end car rendering for ads. So we're going to do Y. Um 
I'm really curious kind of long-term if this uh, experiment works out, if they all stay bundled within Epic, or if like 10 years from now, there's kind of a great unbundling where Epic refocuses itself and dedicates itself to its core engine store and live ops game development businesses. So I don't know, where do you get, when you guys see acquisitions like this at Epic, what are kind of your prognostications? What do you think? I don't know what to say. Uh, they've been doing a lot of like ancillary like tools and yeah just like uh infrastructure and services acquisitions seems consistent with that yeah i mean i think you're right they just want to like build an ecosystem of stuff for the unreal engine so that you know they get you know more devs using it seems reasonable all right final update uh netflix mobile games coming out in march 2020 uh, since my uh, entry into the deconstructor of Funiverse was blog posting about Netflix games, I wanted to cover this one. Um, there are three games they're releasing in March. Shattered, Shatter Remastered, Into the Dead 2, and This is a True Story. And uh, I don't expect uh, Shatter rings a lot of bells for people, but uh, it's a really good game. I, I played it on the PC on Steam a long time ago, I remember it having a great soundtrack, and I'm pretty sure I bought that soundtrack once upon a time on iTunes. So I'm I'm excited to uh, see that remaster. I'm as as a Netflix subscriber, I'm excited to get to play it for free. I don't think it you know will have a lot of draw for uh, kind of your your average Netflix app user. But uh, I looked at it. I did my predictions uh, last July, and prediction number three was Netflix will face more competition for developers and, and content than they anticipate. And, you know, this is a, a three-game month. Um, these aren't uh, big headline game developers or games, and, I, you know, I think it's going to take them to build a long time to build the momentum where you're seeing a lot of... Um, announcements of games coming to the netflix platform that would get a, a consumer excited so i'm i'm excited for shatter remastered but uh i think netflix games you know they have all the time in the world and uh it's just going to take them a long time to build up that momentum yeah and they just brought in a new head of strategy i just read the news or like gaming strategy um uh, from playstation uh did you it, it was it's like a breaking news have, have you read that no were you were you googling while I was talking? Yes, no. yeah, it was, it was just here. It was um, just like the audience, just like the audience. Yes, it was googling yes, while I was talking. Yes, um, Netflix names Roberto Barrera as new head of gaming strategy. Games industry veteran departs PlayStation after 11 years to join streaming platforms' growing games division. So, more more stars bringing in. Um, Acquiring yeah. studios, launching games. It's going to be very interesting to see how, where this grows. And I like their approach of kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall, seeing what sticks <laughs> instead of kind of like waiting for the first Netflix game that would come after three years. Uh, we're already seeing a bunch of stuff. Nothing too impressive, yeah. to be you know, absolutely I, I frank. I played the League of Legends game. It, it was a f- solid runner mm-hmm. game. You know, yeah. I played it. I'm glad I didn't buy it for three bucks. Yeah, I, exactly. I got it for free. I played it for a day or two. Yeah, so um, let's let's jump in. As a consumer, yeah. great value prop. Great you know? value prop, exactly. So you know, nothing is going to blow your hair up. Let's let's be honest. So they're they're getting their beaks wet. Right. They're coming in. They're testing, and and more to come in the in the in the following years. Okay, folks, let's take a little break from the conversation. Talk about your post IDFA 
cross-platform strategy. More specifically, how you're going to monetize that sweet console and PC audience of yours. Well, here's where Player One comes to the picture, providing a huge revenue opportunity for developers and publishers. In fact, it's the only engagement and monetization platform designed to reward free-to-play console and PC gamers. Now I know what you're thinking. Players don't want to watch ads on console and PC. Well, that's actually not true. According to extensive surveys with players who are playing the most popular AAA free-to-play games, Player One found an overwhelming desire, 77% to be accurate, by gamers to have an option to earn free in-game content in exchange for watching 15 to 30 second advertisements. Now, the second thing you're thinking about is that you don't want to show other games to your console and PC players. Well, Player One got you covered once again. Firstly, the platform lets gamers decide if they want to watch TV quality brand sponsored videos inside their favorite titles in exchange for cool in-game items and awesome content. Secondly, as I said, Player One's inventory is purely of TV quality brand sponsored videos, so you won't have to worry about churn or build segmentation profiles. Plus, given the fact that the majority of free-to-play players on PC and console never actually spend any money in the live service area of those games, Player One is providing a way for developers and publishers alike to help their loyal players to get access to all the additional content that's being created while maintaining their game's economies. Player One is fully optional for players and completely respect respectful of game flow. And for developers, Player One has been proven to drive retention, lifetime value, and additional revenue, all while maintaining monthly active users and reducing churn. Everybody wins with Player One. Gamers unlock immediate rewards, developers enhance the playing experience and generate passive revenue, and brands connect meaningfully with the most passionate audience in media. Visit playerwon.com to see how it works in practice or Get, go to the link in this podcast description below. Now back to the episode. So, uh, yeah. a piece of news that I that I pulled out. So there's not a you know a lot of great news. I'm just going to run this quickly. Backbone has raised forty million to bring console and PC games to mobile. So, Backbone is uh, is a basically a dual the, stick controller. Yeah, for that's iPhone the controller exactly. Right? And yeah. now they raised forty million in Series A wow. uh, with. Uh, from in, like Index Ventures led the round, uh, but they had some amazing angel investors. Kevin Hart, Post Malone, The Weekend. Like, how do I how do I get you know I, like what yeah? <laughs> how do I get on like how do I talk to Kevin Hart? Yeah, I love exactly. his podcast, by the way. Comedy Gold Mines, great podcast. Just one of one million products Kevin Hart is involved in. Yeah, but, uh, so I've been listening to that this week. I so, mean, just uh, is it when, when these people invest? It's not them personally doing. They're business not. managers, and you know. I um yeah anyway I, it's like it's it's always weird when that like is are they smart money like this post Malone no I a lot of, I guess, so. he's a big gamer he's actually is a big gamer yeah, so yeah. maybe he's a good yeah. you know point for this but I don't know. it's but, just like uh, what do these people know about these companies when they like they don't know what it would be amazing I would like to announce a funding round and say like I don't know fifty cent invested Dr Dre would be like wow dude <laughs> like yeah. So. You're like the whole Super Bowl halftime show invested in. Got uh, Snoop Dogg. Well, Snoop, Snoop, Snoop Dogg does a lot of deals. I, I think we can get him into the deconstructor of fun of Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Exclusive we can. Exclusive Snoop <laughs> NFTs. Uh, anyway, so what is a backbone? So it's players are able to connect their iPhone to this backbone controller and play titles from App Store, Apple Arcade, stream games from Xbox Game Pass, NVIDIA GeForce Now, Amazon Luna, 
and Google Stadia, as well as play games on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and S, and Steam, and the company has partnered with Microsoft to bring Xbox gaming to iOS later last year. Now, the device itself, you know, it's a wired controller, which means that there's limited latency because it's not Bluetooth. Uh, there's a little bit of a problem with uh, phone cases because, you know, we can't really put it around the phone case and everybody has a phone case around their iPhone unless they are lunatics. Uh, so it's not that friction-free. Uh, essentially, it makes your iPhone look like a Nintendo Switch. There's a headphone jack that you can put in, so you can finally connect it to your iPhone, and you can charge while playing. The whole thing around this one is, of course, there's an app, and the app essentially launches a game library, and inside that app, it allows you to capture video, you know, there's a trending highlights over there, uh, you have a bunch of calibration options to, to play better, and the interesting part is that when you stream these games, you actually stream through Safari, and that adds lag. Like whatever you want to put it, it, it has some lag. So yeah, I've 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 done some GeForce Now streaming on the phone yeah. with not a backbone but a different wired uh-huh. controller, and you know it, it was cool. Yeah. It was cool that it worked. But I have many venues on which to play Saints Master Saints Row Three yes. Remastered, and this was not the best. Exactly. Experience. So 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 it, it does limit a little bit to the games that you're playing and and if we're talking about gamers like this is for real gamers like even that millisecond lag it's tangible you can kind of feel it so i don't want to you know dog too much on on the uh, on the on the backbone um you know um with games that require a high level of precision control this is likely an issue but you know but there's plenty of games that don't so you can play a lot of a lot of different type of games and it really costs 100 bucks, which could be a lot, but if you compare it to like the Razer controller, for example, I think it's called Razer Sith or something like that, it's the same price. Actually, the Razer is more expensive. So what do you guys think? Like, like what are they going to build with 40 million? Like, I'm just a little bit confused. Like, what is that going for? This is like a lot. A lot of companies have tried this, right? I mean, this is yeah. not like a new idea. Um, I don't know. And I've I bought mean, a lot of their products. I'm in. <laughs> I don't just. I just feels like those aren't the it, types of games you want to play on mobile, right? Yeah, I mean, I, a, you're trying to force this uh, this this gameplay uh, interaction model that you know exists on console for a reason onto a totally different hardware form factor, right? And it it just feels like. Uh, it kind of contrived. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like those aren't I, the games that are being built, right? So you got to have the games. I know, before I, you... yeah. I know this is going to sound totally stupid, but I like playing games laying down in bed or in the couch. So like, I bought the Nvidia Shield so that I could stream games in my house from my Nvidia graphics card, like down a floor. Mm-hmm. Like I'm actually a user of this, and it's kind of like it's convenient. I like it's. Like having a switch for your PC, this mm-hmm. type of thing. But I, I think that even f- I, I recognize that I'm a niche gamer in that way. And like, so I'm going to buy the Steam Deck and I don't care if anybody else does. But based on the experiences I've had with this type of streaming, I'd much rather have a Steam Deck than have it streamed to my phone with a, uh, uh, with a controller. Like the yeah. experience is going to be better. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, pl- I only play games when I'm driving, right? So I need the one hand. I need, it's got to be vertical, right? Because I got one hand on the right. wheel and I got the other hand. Very sad. No wonder the Range Rover is always at the uh, repair shop. <laughs> yeah, the, the, it's all this coming together. It makes sense now. Uh, so it's human hair I guess, and the, I mean, the grill. No, it, it's, uh, I, 
Yeah, but that's but that's a bit you know I don't I don't do that I'm joking but um you know that that's a big that's a that's a big design choice right for like Asian games right because people yeah. play on the subway and and uh you know and, and like if you're for distribution in Asian countries like people take public transport every day and they want to play yeah. hanging on to the the railing and play with one hand so it's all vertically oriented and stuff like I don't know that people I don't know like if I'm if I'm in a position where I'm able to take this case out put my phone into mm-hmm. it and start playing a game why wouldn't I just fire up my console. Right, because that probably means or, I'm at home. Or like, have I'm your not, Nintendo Switch with you. Right, or have my... Right. Yeah, it's, it's just like, I'm that kind of a gamer, why am I... And then there's just a universe of games that could even accommodate that. It's probably, like, very limited. It's, it just feels like... Okay. And also, it's been tried before, and it never really worked. I, I don't know. I mean, good luck to them. And they have a lot of money now, so maybe yeah. it, it'll work this time. Yeah, I was just curious to hear, like, like where, like where, what am, what am I missing? Because I'm, I'm kind of tr- trying to understand, like, what is the market potential for this? Seeing that there are other devices like this from, you know, from... Like Razer, for example, they you know yeah. we do have these controllers, and this is kind of on the uh, I, on the high up price, and you get an app, but you know, okay. Yeah, I I also wonder like where's the incremental revenue here? Like, how much is their ability to return a multiple on forty million dollars is just about how many hardware units they can yeah. move of a phone accessory? I I think and I it's think just like un- unless there's a plan that involves them getting additional incremental revenue from their users which i don't know maybe a cut of google stadia subscriptions yeah, that people the, sign up for in the app like I, that's I don't not know. a big cut Doesn't, from from you know from yeah i know i know that's why i'm right so let's just end this on on the fact that if post malone kevin hart or weekend want to come in on the podcast to discuss yeah. their investment and why do they believe in this i'd love to that would be amazing. Actually, Kevin. we will come to Post Malone. I think he's in Salt Lake, yeah. <laughs> wherever yeah. he is. We'll do a live podcast episode at his crib and uh, discuss uh, Backbone. I think, um, you know, yeah. whatever he says, like, we're down. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? There was like, uh, uh, you know, Jake Paul or one of the, those. those there's like the two brothers, brothers, Jake, and I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they were like YouTube pranksters before they got all in on like boxing. Yeah. Uh, and and they did this prank one time where they like showed up at Post Malone's house, um, <laughs> and they filmed it. And and but they basically like doxed him because they didn't edit out the address like when they were showing up at his house. And like he's like, "What are you doing here?" And like, "Ah oh, ha ha, we you know, what's up, dude?" And he's like, "Why are you at my house?" And like, and like, oh, because I, I think it. He'd ordered some merch. That's right. He'd ordered some yeah. merch and they delivered it, like hand delivered it. Like, aha, we got your merch. You're live on YouTube. And he's like, what are you, why are you filming this? What are you doing? <laughs> he got like no shirt on. <laughs> he was actually playing video game. Anyway, and he got really pissed off because like all these people found out where he lived and they like were coming to his house. Uh, yeah. And he, I think that's why he moved because like all these people were just showing up at his house because they saw the address in this video. <laughs> Fun, funnily enough, he was playing video games with his backbone controller. Uh, and it's, no, so, no, was, and it's, also, it's also so sad because he can't beat up the Paul brothers because they can actually fight nowadays too. <laughs> so. No, but this was this was before they they were skinny. They were like really thin. Yeah. They also did that that obnoxious prank where they went to like that that uh, that forest in Japan where like people commit suicide and they were like filming it and it's like this really sacred place, right? Like. And they saw dead bodies, and they were like filming them and stuff. Those guys are obnoxious. Those those, those people are just like buffoons. Yeah, Jake Paul and Logan Paul. Yeah. yeah oh, so they went right, before yeah. the steroids. Got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, okay. Last article, pretty quick. Uh, so this was actually translated from a Dutch uh, news site. The 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 domain is I don't even Rod von State. Uh, 
anyway, uh, so it's translated from Dutch to English, so it's it's kind of awkward sounding. But the the title is "Penalty Sum Wrongly Imposed: Loot Boxes in Computer Game FIFA 2022 Are Not a Game of Chance." So I'll just kind of quote from the translated article. Quote, the gaming authority should not have imposed a penalty payment on the publisher of the FIFA 22 computer game in 2019. So this is like, the, the, what happened was there was a penalty imposed on EA in 2019 from this court in The Hague. And so like the Supreme Court, I guess, of, of the Netherlands kind of ruled that that was mistaken, that they shouldn't have imposed that. Uh, so going back to the quote. The so-called packs or loot boxes with which virtual play, uh, football players can be traded on a virtual transfer market in FIFA 2022 are not games of chance that require a license. The publisher has not broken the law. Um, with this, the highest administrative court has reached a different decision than the district court of The Hague, which ruled in October 2020 that the publisher did offer a game of chance while he did not have a license to do so. He being just a reference to EA. Uh, quote, in the opinion of the Administrative Jurisdiction Division, obtaining and opening the packs is not an isolated game. They are part of a game of skill and add an element of chance to the game. Gamers use the contents of the packs to put together teams, play competitions, and fulfill in-game assignments. The tradability of the packs in the black market is relative. The black market mainly focuses on trading complete accounts rather than individual packs or their contents. Since the packs are not a standalone game, they are not a game of chance and do not require a license. The publisher has therefore not violated the Games of Chance Act, and the gaming authority should therefore not have imposed a penalty payment on the publisher. The administrative jurisdiction division has revoked the imposed penalty. This means that the penalty is off the table. So I think that's pretty interesting because, you know, my sense is the general sentiment is that like loot boxes are... Uh, not long for this world, right? Like there's been a lot of uh, investigation of loot boxes, I think by the Belgian government, not the EU government based in Brussels, but like the Belgian like uh, commercial authority. Um, and now we've got, you know, a high court ruling that, hey, that's actually not the case. These are not, it's not gambling. Loot boxes are not gambling. They're part of uh, a game of skill. They're not the game in and of themselves. And therefore, you know, they can't be penalized. They can't be sort of targeted um with any sort of like regulation i think that's that's pretty interesting um you know determination here and this was just published today 9th of march uh so kind of hot off the press i I, we'll see if there's and that's why i got the dutch version we'll see if there's any sort of analysis um in like western you know or u.s english language press uh about this but my sense is like this is probably pretty meaningful it might actually um halt the kind of momentum that um that the sort of anti-loot box uh you know, crusade has, uh, has, has gotten, I don't really have an opinion on that. Um, maybe loot boxes are a really bad thing, but it seems like anyway, some of that momentum has been halted with this ruling. Yeah. This is, uh, as one of the internet's finest purveyors of loot boxes, I, uh, am excited by a ruling like this. Um, it kind of confirms what I think, which is like, if you're opening a Pokemon card pack, you're not gambling. Um, like, Playing a slot machine and opening a Pokemon card pack are two very different things. Um, and I think, um, especially as I've gotten into crypto, like people are quick to call things gambling without understanding exactly what gambling is. And there are a lot of things that maybe you don't agree with or you don't like the monetization tactic, but that doesn't mean that you are literally rolling a, paying a quarter to roll dice for the chance of getting two quarters. Um, you're you're paying for digital goods that you have some u- that have some utility to you. So yeah, uh, uh, this is really great uh, f- from an industry perspective to me. I think it's great uh, if we can kind of put all the 
if we can defend the loot box regulation or put these sorts of uh, arguments behind us. Well, the, the other thing too is is um, you know a lot of these companies have started to publish the chances, right? Like I think if you understand yeah. the probabilities of getting whatever you want to get, like it's not it's not really gambling at all, right? I mean, because then then any sort of randomization mechanic in any uh, part of the game could be considered yeah. gambling, right? I mean, there's just yeah. there's just random on, on, on a te- on, on a technical level. There's no difference from killing a monster in Diablo and getting a random set of loot from opening a card pack and getting a random set of loot. Like it's it's the same thing. Um, so I I don't know people who anti loot box crusaders is is uh, interesting to me. I guess. Yeah, and I, and the other thing is like also it's it's you know when I'm I don't know it, like there's there, there's there's uh it's hard to know you know what any there, there's obviously things that like kind of exist on a relative scale in a game economy right but it's hard to it's hard to um sort of quantitatively stack those things against each other all the time right it's like given different player uh motivations and uh and and you know sort of um what what they're trying to achieve in the game right so like let's say that you know, you've got a sword that's just like objectively better than some other item, and you know, obviously, anyone would want would prefer that sword to that other item, right? Um, but then you could have like cosmetic items where it's like hard to say that this is more valuable than this other item, and so like just because there's some random chance of getting one versus the other, why is that? How's that gambling in any way? Like you want something, but the other the other thing that that just has subjective value to you versus some other thing that would have a lot of subjective value to other people, and so how is that really gambling when you just sort of randomize the delivery of that thing? Right, it, it seems kind of hard to. Uh, now, now that's not the case in FIFA. I think FIFA was like a, a much more sort of like acute example of like, yes, these are stack ranked, like quantitatively sort of uh, prioritizable items, and you'd much rather get like the highest priority thing than the lowest priority. But the chance of getting that's very low, and you're paying real money to try to get that thing. I kind of get that, but it's apparently the Dutch court doesn't agree, right, that that was gaming since it's just part of a broader game of skill. Well. Yeah, I mean, because when somebody's opening a, a FIFA loot box or a Pokemon card set, they're not. Money doesn't come out of the envelope. They want a digital good. That digital good has utility. Some of those things have more utility than others, and thus are more valuable. But like uh, a game of chance, it's 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 a different thing. E- even if there's a probability that you get something much better, provably much better than someone else, it's not. Um, uh, I am giving you one dollar. You're letting me roll the dice, and you might give me two dollars. Right? It's it's they're different. Um, and so yeah, I don't know. I think uh, uh, just because digital goods have value to some people doesn't mean that they're money in my opinion so we'll see uh, crypto corner. if you are a legal scholar please slide into my dms and tell <laughs> me why i'm wrong oh by the way like like sliding into dms i have to say this oh we were having a having lunch a couple of, <laughs> a couple of days ago this was the best lunch conversation uh-huh. ever it was uh, in helsinki in a really like a packed place a really good lunch place it's always packed so you know, there's a bunch of people because it's in downtown, and we were talking about, you know, natural stuff. What you would talk about lunch is the economical effect of the war in Ukraine. <laughs> Me and my co-founder, we're mm-hmm. both, like, business majors, actually. And this guy sits next to us, like, what do you guys do? <laughs> and and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're like, we make games. He was like, what? Because we were talking, like, macroeconomics and right. stuff. And, um, 
And he was like, can I join the conversation? I was like, uh, and he was like, I'm a PhD in economics. <laughs> so this right. Guy, and uh, it was it was amazing. So uh, it's super scary as well. Like you don't want to talk to uh, somebody who's an expert in economics about these this type of stuff because it will blow your mind. <laughs> yeah. And he gave us like investment tips. It was amazing. Like the best lunch I've had in in a long time. So, awesome. uh, but yeah, Ethan, crypto corner. Uh, you know, we talked about sandbox yesterday uh-huh. in tokenomics, right? Uh-huh. So, so if, uh, I don't. Well, no, if no. if you want to learn about the sandbox and uh, Alpha Season Two, listen to tokenomics. Uh, tokenomics will be, be out after this after. episode. Yeah. It's going to be published yeah, soon I, after this episode, so it's the next it. episode so this after is, this. This is a tease. I, oh. I I had something else I was going to say, but it's not as important. So just uh, if you want to learn about the sandbox and Alpha Season Two, uh, listen to tokenomics. All right. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we got the Twig 173 covered. Thank you for listening. We wish you peace and we wish you love. And don't watch the news too much and play some games. You know, relax. You know, everything's going to be okay. So have a good one.